Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Leon from Nottingham, and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, why do we not have bacon as a cut of meat from other four-legged farm animals like cows and sheep? But we have turkey bacon. Okay, now on with the show. And remember to question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dame Baptiste, and my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests posed to questions that need to be asked, and we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from Leon, from Nottingham's question, why do we have bacon from pigs and, and indeed, from turkeys, as he mentions, but not from other types of animals? What constitutes bacon and and why is it only coming from i don't have the answer to that dame do you um not really i assume that <laughs> probably probably the etymology of the word bacon might maybe comes from back right but i don't know where bacon comes from on the pig because i don't really eat pork i've also seen beef bacon as well right and right. uh yesterday on youtube i saw a chinese chef make bamboo wrap i'm gonna use the first result uh that it gets uh <laughs> get on the internet to answer the question for our lovely friend uh leon uh big up yourself leon um the answer is apparently it can it just rarely gets done bacon is made from fatty cuts of pork belly uh which is small but can be done with other cuts from animals like cattle or sheep however the flavor of pork is preferred apart from turkey bacon which is the healthy one so um yeah it could be if you've got a pig or you've got a bean if you've got a sheep or a cow that you're gonna eat make some sheep bacon or why stop at farmyard animals you yeah, might, they leave my cat out of this, mate. Yeah, or, um, I mean, maybe in this part of the world, Howard, but at the same time, there's also Facon, so you yeah, can go the no, vegan bacon route. Is, is I'm an sure interesting there's, uh, option. Yeah. You, could probably, you could probably make, like, aubergine bacon. That's something I think you could cut down into strips. People yeah. would eat aubergine bacon. Well, suffice to say, on this podcast, before we get into further kinds of bacon, uh, we ask and answer all the questions, no matter how uh, delicious or fatty they are. Absolutely, and no question is too rash. So if you do like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify, and you'll never miss an episode. Or you can subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all of our very special questions being asked and answered and occasionally Googled by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a writer and English economics and politics commentator, columnist, journalist and author. She's a staff writer at the Tribune magazine and the author of several books, including The Corona Crash, How the Pandemic Changed Capitalism and Stolen, How to Save the World from Financialization. She's a former economics commentator for The New Statesman and has appeared frequently in the UK and international media, including BBC Question Time, ITV's Good Morning Britain and MTV News, as well as Double Down News. Please welcome to the podcast, Grace Blakely. Hello, what an introduction. That was so extensive, thank you. Well, you know, Google provides a lot. <laughs> it does. It, bacon, bacon suggestions and attributes of our esteemed guests. How, how are you, Grace? How, how do you feel about bacon? I'm good. I personally love bacon. Um, and I was going to say in response to that question, like, yeah, you can get, 
you know, plant-based bacon. But it does make sense that they generally make out of pork because, like, the thing that's good about bacon is all the fat, isn't it? And, like, a lot of other animals aren't that fatty. And that's obviously why they're, they're, they're supposed to be kind of, you know, unclean, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're not even, it's not clean. Apparently, they're not unclean. It's just that pigs are not in their natural environment, so they're supposed to be in water. Oh, so, is that true? Yeah, so they're kind of semi-amphibious because I think they're related to the hippo. So they're supposed to that be in sense. water. And because because they don't, um, I like other mammals, like dogs, for example, they put their tongues out and that's how they call themselves. And pigs no, are supposed no, no, to call no. themselves in water. And because they don't have access to water when they're being intensively farmed, that's why they roll and cover themselves in mud to stop the sun penetrating. Has so, this podcast made you able to answer like any question that people put to you now, just like it down the path? Like half of the bacon-based questions we're pretty good with nowadays. Um, bacon, why specifically bacon-based? Well, this is something that interests people a lot of the time. And I guess I feel like when people wake up, that's when they're at their most inquisitive. Yeah. Bacon's in front of them and they're just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. how does it even happen? Um, I think me and Howard, we're basically, we're massively sought after when it comes to like pub quizzes. We're like the, the Messi and Ronaldo <laughs> I'd imagine. But we're too busy with this podcast, just trying to find enlightenment and just try and continue our thirst for knowledge. So yeah. our wanderlust is kind of a blessing and a curse because it means that we want to get out there and we want to be doing more more quizzes and really just taking London by the balls in pub yeah. quizzes. But maybe well, we just do live shows that way. We are too busy yeah, meditating, trying to find enlightenment, asking yeah. the big questions. The big, yeah, That's the why big, you're big here, questions. Grace. That's why you're here. I don't think we're going to help get... you answer the big questions. Yeah, I still don't think we're going to get you know uh, peace uh, from this podcast. But we will I maybe. Don't know. Just we will maybe learn vibes out there into the world and seeing what happens. Exactly. Yeah. And also, how would you need conflict in order to enjoy peace? Otherwise, you would take it for granted. So we very need true. Yin and every yang. now and again. Exactly. You need to be tested existentially every now and again. Like for example, yesterday on YouTube, I saw a chef making a dish with a Sichuan bamboo wrap. Oh. Yeah. I mean. You say oh, but I was like ah, because uh, it looked good. It looked alive at first, and that was the biggest thing that disturbed me. And then it wasn't alive. And then did it look good? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like because I already knew what it was, it was hard for me to see it in any other way. Bamboo? No, bamboo rats. Bamboo rats? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought you said a bamboo rat. Like what is a bamboo rat? I guess it's a rat that basically feeds on bamboo and based oh. in the Sichuan province. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, fair. I mean, they do eat a lot of stuff in China, don't they? So. I mean, that's... They, good on them. The Chinese takeaway around the corner from my old house used to do bird's nest soup. And I feel like if you're not even going to waste the nest, then you are always going to become... Fair enough. A, you're always going to become a hegemony yeah, in the world. I, I'm, I'm very yeah. rare to. I'm very rare that I ever think about sharing my screen because obviously, podcast listeners, you you can't see what I'm sharing. But I'll just quickly share this with, and hopefully not ruin this recording. Uh, with and you can see that's what a bamboo. Oh, they're rat actually looks. quite cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not when you're eating them, but yeah, there you go. Oh, so they've got really long teeth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. That was that. Grace, your tone, your tone is almost like you're going to finish that sentence by saying they're so cute. They've got really long teeth. That looks delicious. Mm. <laughs> Spicy mayo, and I'm there. That um, wasn't where my mind was going. I'm trying right. to think about what the most exotic thing I've ever eaten was. Now in Thailand, when I was there with like my boyfriend and some other people, they ate scorpions on a stick, yeah. and I couldn't do it. 
It yeah. was just too like pointy and like scary and gross. It's like I feel like scorpions are they they look that way through evolution to be like, leave me the fuck alone. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like, don't it's like, eat me. It's like brightly covered frogs. They're saying, don't touch me, yeah, otherwise yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not gonna, it's not gonna end well for you. You sound and like so, you had some kind of affinity with uh, <laughs> with them there, saying that you really respected them. I do, uh, that's I the really thing, Howard. The scorpions. I, yeah. I do respect the scorpions. They live in the desert, Howard. It's just yeah. them and cacti, yeah. the occasional snake. And a very, very occasional camel, and I think they're yeah. gonna be tough. Yeah, they're gonna be super big respect tough. to any uh, big respect to any scorpions listening to the show today. Uh, the winds of change are blowing. Yeah, so. exactly. And it's be- speaking of which, the winds of change are blowing for this show as we're about to ask our first question, aren't we? Then it's probably time for a question, isn't it? Really, absolutely, Miss Grace Blakely. We uh, invite you as our very esteemed guest to ask the first question, which can be any question you would like about any topic you would like, which we like to discuss with you, Beryl, for about fifteen minutes and some change. Then my producer friend, Hizza, a.k.a. Howard Cohen here, would like to pose a question to you to discuss for 15 minutes. And then in a weird twist of fate, I would like to pose a question to you to discuss for the same amount of time. And then we would love for you to tell our listeners where they can find out about your great works, past, present and future. How does that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> Good. Um, so my question um, is, yeah, I, I want to get your thoughts and your opinions as people who are like, semi-involved but not constantly involved in the political economic world or whatever um because my job is all around kind of uh talking about and explaining sometimes complicated concepts to people um and i often find that when i mention the word like economics people switch off so i want to know what you guys think about or feel when you hear the word economics oh what a good question what great a very question. Good question. And how often uh, in your life, Grace, do you have to say that word? I imagine. Yeah, a lot. Pretty much every <laughs> yeah. time I introduce myself, because I say I'm a politics and economics commentator. And then they go, You're a Marxist! You are a Marxist, lady! <laughs> I didn't want to say that because it's awkward, but no, we, you, we'll put a warning on this episode. It's fine. Uh, but the, tri- uh... Trigger warning. <laughs> There's a woman on it and she's a Marxist. Be warned. Yeah. I am a Marxist in the sense that, you know, I um, read and make use of the work of Karl Marx in my analysis of capitalism. I think when people hear the word Marxist, they think, oh, it means like a communist, but much more extreme. And it's like, no, it actually is kind of like a way of analysing the world. You could theoretically be a Marxist, i.e. buy Marxist analysis of capitalism without being a communist. Mm. There have been some uh, economists in the past, for example, someone called Schumpeter, who came up with the theory of um, uh, creative destruction in economics, who was like really, had, had read a lot of Marx and was quite like keen on a lot of his, his analysis, but he was conservative. He was like, we need to avoid a lot of this stuff. So... It's actually an analytical framework rather than um, a kind of, you know, uh, I suppose, ideological position, although it is, of course, an ideological position as well. Um, so people mm. get that wrong, I think. I think it sounds a bit scary to everyone. Yeah. Well, also, people, I think, don't, you know, don't take this the wrong way. Don't people think you're really smart just because you say that word and, and they don't want to engage with it? Maybe. Yeah. I haven't really ever thought about that, but I guess. I don't know. What do you guys think of when you hear the word Marxist? That's interesting. Well, Marxist, I mean, it definitely is a is a uh, a very contentious issue for obvious reasons of who won the twentieth century and who didn't the twentieth century. 
Um, but the, the, the <coughs> word economics is, and, and being an economist, you know, that, the eco bit is, is a fascinating word. And it, it, it definitely, I think, turns some people off mm. a conversation because, and Dane, you, you know, but you just see if you, if you agree with this or not. But like, for, I think for a lot of people, they would hear that and think that's too complex a thing. It, I don't understand it. It doesn't have enough to do with me. I won't get involved. Whereas the reality is, Dave, it involves everyone, right? Yeah, precisely. I think uh, economics is a, is a list uh, from a list of words that have been subverted, particularly by right wing and mainstream media to become dirty words or to become trigger words that make people disassociate in the same way that, uh, as I said, Marxism has now been linked to an extreme form of communism um, as opposed to being a more moderate ideology with some tenets of communism, even though um, to the point where I think uh, Marxism now falls on, in the same category as uh, critical race theory, where it's an applied framework to look at uh, socio, social, political, or economic phenomena uh, in order to understand them or contextualize them, but because they may show uh, some deference to either left-wing ideology or egalitarian ideology, then people switch up from it. So I think that's very much been a function of suggestion because I will always say that most people who say that politics have nothing to do with me. If you were to ask them about England starting 11, then they can name every single person by name <laughs> and place of birth. And again, I think that's down to media suggestion. Uh, so far as what economics means to me... Uh, I guess I go for the very basic term in terms of it being the allocation of resources based on their abundance or scarcity. And I think it's because of that definition as to why discussing economics is always so difficult because um, what people tend to uh, understand by resources can be very skewed. Um, the last book I'm economic space book I remember reading, the most popular one or accessible one was the book Free Economics. Yeah. And... Uh, I remember coming to the end of that book and being like, this is fucking bullshit because yeah. the book became very uh, eugenic in its uh, editorial towards the end. And I am definitely of the belief that we can't really have an open discussion about the allocation of resources if those resources are not being allocated fairly or in an egalitarian way in the first place. And while I don't think it's necessarily easy to apply a morality to economics if you look at it in terms of, I guess, efficacy, yeah, it's like if you have like 1% of the people that have like 10% or like, you know, a third or if 1% of the people have a third of the world's wealth, we can't really have an open discussion about any functional economic mechanisms because people have much more than their fair share. Like if there are people, if you have a, a cycle of money and there are people who have more money than they'll ever live to spend, then we can't really have any functional discussion about how economics works because I guess for lack of a better expression, the game's already loaded in the first place. So that's why I feel like it's a really difficult to have discussion to have economics because for me, another uh, uh, example would be when people talk about like, you know, the continent of Africa. It's obviously a very resource rich place. Now, if Africa was to observe the same kind of economic framework as um, somewhere like Europe, for example, then you could employ protectionist policies whereby you wouldn't be able to export produce or goods or services to the continent that would affect the domestic industries in those countries. But we don't have that. So what you have instead is you have oh, a... Africa was prevented from doing that through... Precisely, yes. Western colonialism, basically, from the it's, IMF it's, in the exactly. 1980s and so beyond. Then, yeah. Exactly. So there's no discussion that we can have about, you know, economics, whereby if we're not... If some people aren't really paying by the rules of how economics... Is, 
So when people discuss economics, particularly here, or people are having center of right discussions, they might talk about economics in terms of the fact that we have an economy which depends on the exploitation of foreign labor or the import of labor. But then that happens um, concurrently with anti-immigration rhetoric, despite the fact that the people who have preferential or advantageous positions in our economy know without being able to import workers, the economy can't grow. But then you can look at like how uh, the exploitation of those resources, the uh, ramifications of that. So for example, let's say we look at the war in Russia and Ukraine, and that can affect our access to petrochemicals. Now, that will have an effect on our economy, as we're told, because that manifests as our cost of living crisis. But then at the same time, the continued exploitation of these resources causes ecological devastation. So it doesn't matter how much your economy grows if you can't breathe the fucking air. Well, then it doesn't matter how good your economy is. And it's been very it's been very interesting to see in this period of time that we've just lived through uh, in which uh, listeners, if you're coming to this when we haven't re- released it, you know, you're coming to it in a year or two time. We're recording this around the time that they're trying to work out which idiot is next to run the Conservative Party and uh, and then therefore be prime minister. And if you went through the things these people were saying when they're trying to, you know, get this job, the word economy and economics comes up constantly, right, Grace? Like, constantly. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like yeah. it's a thing to worry, that make people worried, right? And that's how the buzzword is used because most people, when they think of the economy, I imagine, to be honest, I imagine most people see the economy, when they visualise it, is that there's money in a vault under, like, the Houses of Parliament and the distribution of that money is how our economy works. Or there's, like, a bag... And there's basically people go, we want it because we're immigrants and we're single mothers. And then they give out some money then. And then people go, I'll work hard for everything. There's not enough money for me. And that's just how I think arbitrarily people view how the way an economy works. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, the economy is basically just the sum of all the stuff that everyone does for money. That's what our GDP is, basically. You can measure it in terms of income or expenditure or whatever. Um, But yeah, the, the idea that it's like, you know, there's a fixed stock of money and um, there are lots of different demands on it um, and it's being given preferentially to certain groups over others, is I think definitely true, especially when you're talking about the government budget. Now, of course, that isn't true because, you know, the way that um, government spending works, it's not like the government has a load of money, like cash in a bowl, and it, you know, gives it to certain people. Actually, the state creates currency which is used to facilitate economic activity. And the job of the government is to create the right amount of currency, the Bank of England really, is to create the right amount of currency to um, facilitate the economic activity that does take place and potentially allow that economic activity to expand, as well as implementing taxes to kind of curb activities in some places, like taxes on bad goods, like smoking or whatever, or taxes on the wealthy or taxes on corporations. And use, um, you know, its power to invest in infrastructure and giving us the public goods that we need in kind of undertaking some redistribution. So it's a lot more complicated than they're just being like, there's a sum of money. Some people are getting it. Some people aren't. It's more like, you know, the government's trying to kind of grease the wheels of what we're all doing all the time. And what we're all doing all the time is the economy in inverted commas. Yeah. Well, I mean, the economy as we understand it, because well, I would say that the economy as it's presented to us uh, is really a microcosm of how the economy works on a larger scale. And most human beings that work within our democratic society don't really have an understanding of that. And so the issue is not just the word economics, but like you said, it, it's complicated. 
that's enough to switch most people off of something that even though it, uh, the mechanics of it govern their very lives. Um, so for me, no yeah. meaning. I know I keep repeating myself on this fucking podcast. Apologies, listeners. If you if you've switched off, then you won't care. But, <laughs> what, <laughs> why are you so down on yourself today? What no, do no, no, it's more than like, I feel like I feel like if I ever if I if I can't start repeating myself in every episode, then you'd feel like oh, you're just saying the same I thing every week. And if you don't want to listen to me on this podcast anymore, fine, you can switch off. <laughs> I would, I'm sure they've been. You can be all catchphrase. Exactly. Everyone can have a little yeah. catchphrase. Well, there's they? no meaning so- to it. There's just no meaning. Like, you know how, like, there's, like, you know, a football match. There's just a very definite meaning, which is if you play this game, yeah. after 90 minutes, you win. Or, like, hey, the meaning of uh, me and Dane uh, going for uh, a meal is to hang out and to enjoy ourselves and to eat food. That's the meaning of that. There's just no meaning to these grounds. It's actually a really anymore. good point because, like, you know, the economy is a, a really abstract term. It's a term yeah. for something that is very abstract, which is just, like, the sum of all the stuff that people are doing in exchange for money or to produce goods or whatever. Um, and so by like creating a word which suggests an object, that in itself is kind of political. It's kind of ideological to say there is something out there called the economy and we can do stuff to it. Uh, and we can kind of, you know, we can get the government to change it or we can get corporations to change it or whatever. Um, and we, you know, uh, or we need to just leave it alone because that's, of course, kind of the ideology that we tend to have at the moment. It's just like, let the economy do whatever the economy is doing. Actually, it's always really important to remember that the economy, i.e. economic activity, is undertaken by people. So you can't analyze what's going on in the economy without analyzing basically like the class underpinnings of who is doing what in the economy. So who plays what role, who plays what function. And of course, living in a capitalist economy, means there's a small number of people who own all the stuff and then a bunch of other people who work for them who have to basically sell their labor power in order to survive and then a few other people in the middle who are kind of managing things a few people at the very bottom who never get the chance to work and are supported by kind of people who are working within the state so an economy unto itself which people don't tend to understand because you know even though we have a welfare state what people don't understand is that that welfare state also depends on unemployment in order for it to thrive because that's all coming under the umbrella of capitalism. And I guess one of the reasons why people have such a limited understanding of economics is because they, as Howard said, it's a word that's very meaningless and ambivalent in the same way that like the whole Adam Smith uh, capitalist theory says like there would be a divine mechanism which sorts everything out. And I think that's just the way people think about the economy is that like if people aren't scrounging and then people that stop coming into this country, then the economy will level itself out without people recognising that we are again approaching a point in which number one it's a pandemic proof that you don't necessarily have to be present for your labor to be exploited and therefore don't have to be in the hospitality or leisure industries or there's the fact that with the rise or proliferation of automation and ai some of the jobs by which which have historically contributed to the economy will no longer exist and it doesn't mean that that pre-existing workforce is unskilled but they have now become obsolete just because of the proliferation of technology. So because we fail to continue to analyse economics, or maybe the problem is that because we use economics as a function of uh, social evolution, then it's very hard to understand because I don't think those two ideologies can necessarily work together. I don't think an increased GDP is indicative of human triumph anymore like it used to be. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is an amazingly interesting thing because I've been having... My question is linked to your question, uh, Grace. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about my question because this morning I was arguing with my wife, uh, who I shouldn't, she, she, I shouldn't be arguing with. Her. She's a very nice person. Um, but um, you know, Dane's ready to say something. But isn't sometimes it? you need, you know, you need to have an argument every now and again. You do need to it's about politics. You do, Grace, but she just had a baby, so yeah, that's so, legit. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Don't <laughs> argue with the woman who just had a baby. It wasn't, Sorry, it, was, yeah. Yeah. it wasn't really an argument. It was a discussion. It was a discussion based on 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 what you should and shouldn't care about, and right? What what the point of caring is, and. Uh, and I can say that because I, you know, am not living in a life and death scenario. I was saying to her, like, when you don't live in a life or death situation on a daily basis or like a kind of, you know, can I survive situation, the things you care about, the point of you caring, I, I'm not certain there is much point in you caring. And, 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 and you're certainly not helping those people by sitting there going, oh, this is terrible. But that's my take on it, which not everyone is entitled to agree with, obviously. But the thing, you know, relating it back to economics is what I kind of led her to believe that, you know, in my discussion with my wife, I said, you know, the reality of it is that this is ending. You know, this era is ending that we grew up in. And the more you take your bit of like, oh, it's terrible, isn't it? It's actually use that to try and inform and inspire conversation amongst the masses that you encounter, and I we encounter them on this show, to further a conversation that something is, you know, changing, something is over, you know, and about to end. And so my question is, what is it that is about to change, Grace? And what is it that we're about to, because I want, sometimes I have these conversations, and I don't know what to tell people is going to be next, because I can yeah. see something is coming that is very, very different. Yeah, well, there's a lot of things that are ending. So, um, you know, at this particular point in history, and, you know, you can look at it as a decade or a century, but this particular point in history, we are reaching the end of the period where we can just rely on being able to exploit nature um, without any consequences. So we're coming to the end of kind of what Mark described as nature as a free gift um, from the planet. You can just take stuff from the world and then use it to create wealth. And that is a, you know, a kind of unlimited resource. That's obviously not the case anymore. That has huge, huge implication the way that capitalism works. Um, because without that free gift, you're just not going to be able to create as much wealth and you're going to need mm. to conserve resources much more carefully. The other thing that's coming to an end is um, kind of a really significant population growth. 
So they, they think the world population is probably going to um, level off around 2060 and then potentially start falling, the world population. And that, again, it's very difficult to imagine capitalism, to imagine social democracy, the welfare state without population growth. Because if you start having a top-heavy society, it becomes very difficult to pay for all the things that you need to pay for, given the amount of labor that you have uh, in the economy. Um, we're also, you know, I think personally, we've had the last 40 years of kind of neoliberalism, right, which is this um, uh, kind of extreme right-wing ideology that says it's all about individual responsibility. Um, we shouldn't kind of collectively try to create institutions that will make the uh, society fairer. We should leave everything up to, in inverted commas, the market. Um, now, of course, the market is something that is constructed politically, so you can never really leave anything up to the market. It is based on rules that we set for ourselves. Look how we let the social media market just get on with it. That worked out really fucking well, it's didn't not it? a market because it's monopolies. That isn't a free market at all, but yeah. that's just been allowed to kind of... It's also weird when people refer to it as like, the problem is with this mainstream media. You're on YouTube. It's owned by fucking Google. It's the yeah. most mainstream media that could ever exist, neoliberals, ever. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, like, whether or not this, this question about whether or not neoliberalism is coming to an end is really interesting. Um, because the ideology seems to be broken. No one anymore is saying we need more free markets. Well, some people are, but they're, you know, generally being ignored because it's not worked. It's given us the situation that we're in today. Uh, but the question is what will come next? Um, and this is what's really interesting because, you know, in terms of like the question that you asked, where are we going? There's a kind of optimistic and a pessimistic reading. The pessimistic reading is all of those problems with capitalism are going to come to a head and the world economy is going to collapse and we're not going to be able to build anything in its place. So what's the point? Enjoy while Rome burns. But as a, as a socialist, um, my view is that when we reach points of crisis like this, um, it is incumbent upon us, um, as, you know, as citizens, as workers, as you know, anyone who has an interest in building a fairer society to kind of come together and organize to build a different model. And that's kind of linked to this, this question that you asked about, why should we care? It's not just about caring. It's about using the frustration and the anger that you feel to get out there and A, challenge the system and B, build alternatives to it. We're seeing that right now in the UK with all these workers who are going on strike saying, actually, no, I'm not going to take a pay cut. I'm not going to allow my wages to be eroded by inflation whilst the CEOs of these companies are walking away with you know massive multi-million dollar pay deals. I'm going to stand my ground. And crucially, I'm going to work with other people to yeah. do that. I'm going to organize with uh, my fellow workers. Amazon too. Saw, saw an Am uh, Amazon warehouse workers were able to yeah. form a union in the States as well. Exactly. So that thing of like individualism, which is really the like cornerstone of neoliberalism, which is you're on your own. You have to compete with everyone around you. Um, don't try and cooperate because it's not in human nature. That is something that I hope and I do actually think is coming to an end as well. Oh, and, and, and you see it in the younger generations, right? Yeah. You see it, this, these, these spikes of things coming out in, in research about younger generations and how they don't seem to give a fuck about some of the things that we used to really care about. Now, that will only probably increase, particularly when you are growing up in a world that is being... When we were growing up, we weren't told that the world was about to end because of global warming. Yeah. Now, if you're growing up in no, a no, world... No, 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 we were. We were. 
We weren't. Well, on, on a we level, on a, I, I, on a I, I, massive I level no, now. I, I, no, I see you mean, Howard, but I mean, it, it, but this is the thing. When we were being told was when we were also experiencing the advent of neo, neoliberalism and individualism. Yeah, so I think I agree with you, but I'm saying yeah. what happened was that while we were being told, we were also being told that now there's new opportunities that if you're a working class extraction, you can now go to like graduate schools mm. and you can have a council house with the option to buy. So what ten, So what happened in the same way that I would say what happened now is that when we arrived at a point now where we were experiencing social globalism, where we had the internet and social media allowed us to have broader conversations and interact with people and not just have to listen to the rhetoric that's disseminated to us from governments or from more uh, pol- uh, elite political systems, we can have a global conversation. So just not to bring the tone of the conversation down, but it's like, I don't think it's a coincidence that around the same time we got the super information highway, pornography starts to become free. As soon as you can start streaming videos and downloading information as quickly as possible and subvert the uh, message that you're given from more corrupt governments, then we're fed with a distraction in the same way that like one social media allowed us to all have broad conversations and not have to go through constituencies or politicians and intermediaries. Then banking interest began to buy social media analytics and began manipulating those to their own ends. So for me, it's like, while now people are having conversations, like you said, like younger generations are having conversations and saying stuff like none of these systems are functional to the continuation of our species as a social species, then now you've seen the increase in proliferation of like, you know, propaganda news stations and, you know, right-wing rhetoric. And that's been born out of the fact that there is an interest with these people who make money from individualism, especially how it plays out like on social media, for example, whereas because... What the, you could, if you're told something, you could find out the ultimate. So for example, so using a more a contemporary example, I think most people in the world used to downplay the scale to which police brutality was levied towards African Americans until the video of George Floyd went viral. Then everyone was able to see it for themselves and be the catalyst for a conversation about racism and police brutality in the 21st century. So that's why. Nowadays, like that kind of thing has been restricted. So now you have the backlash from that is now that there's information available to have overt conversations about relationship with America. What they're doing now is saying critical race theory should be illegal because now the information is available. So I feel like going back to your example, how I was like, I think like, cause I remember, for example, when, when the body shop first came out as a, um, as a business, like Anita Roddick was celebrated for being a woman that was an entrepreneur and also having more moral practices with the product by not testing on animals and not polluting other people's, um, uh, I suppose, um, environments. Whereas nowadays, if you look at the aesthetic of the girl boss now, there's no reference made to the exploitation of predominantly women in sweatshops or in factories in developing countries. So it's I don't so think interesting. that's interesting. I think that there's so many facets to it. And, and, and the thing that, that you know, I, I can't. I, I just can't imagine how complicated it is spending most of your life talking about this stuff, Grace, because it must become incredibly uh, in depth. But the the thing that that the kind of I have often come back to in one of our early episodes of this podcast, we we were very fortunate to have George Monbiot uh, on, oh, yeah. on on the show, and he he, he like you know I'd, I'd heard a lot of his stuff before, but just being in a room with someone changes. Uh, your perspective a little bit I think hit stuff home harder doesn't it and and, and, yeah. and he you know just said he just talked about economic growth do you remember Dane for like yeah, I definitely remember I remember saying to him why are you never there when I'm at dinner parties having this conversation <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I remember and, that and, very and, well 
and 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 that idea that our god our like the god that exists in our world yeah. as opposed to anyone's spiritual god that it doesn't exist in the same physical world but the physical god is economic growth and we yeah. just don't realize it the idea that we have to kill that god to me and and the basis of it and I being need yeah, like ba- the basis of that economic god, that that economic growth, that that way of your entire existence. Like, I got into a conversation with my wife about about buying a car, right? Because there's a new baby, and you know our car perfectly fits the four of us and lots of our stuff. Why would I buy a car? Well, because the world encourages me to buy a car because that's part of the growth of what you are as a human being and it's complete bollocks it matters absolutely so in such a small way to your life right grace like that yeah is, like the 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 question that you initially asked which was oh i was talking to my wife who's just had a baby and you know mm. you're talking about buying a car um to to kind of transport your family that care work that you and your wives are doing that is probably the most important form of work that there is. And that is not accounted for in economic growth statistics. It's not even really thought of as work. It's just thought of as something that people, predominantly women, do out of the kindness of their hearts because we all love babies and, you know, love producing them and love kind of, you know, looking after them and whatever, which as I'm sure that you are currently aware is a bit of a kind of rosy (laughs) (laughs) on what the process of childbirth is like. but, you know, that isn't included in, like, what we value as a society. We basically don't value care. And you can see that in the way that care workers, like social workers, um, adult social care workers, people who look after older people, in the way that they're paid and the way that they're treated, they're paid appallingly, minimum wage generally, um, under very, very bad conditions. Um, a lot of our care homes in this country are actually run by private equity firms that are literally there just to kind of squeeze as much money out of them as they possibly can. So yeah, you know, this idea that we want everyone to buy new cars, but we don't particularly care whether or not they're looking after their kids or like, you know, able to support themselves into old age is indicative of a society that's just completely mad, really, isn't it? And and, and it's people like, and, and me and Dane have talked about this guy a couple of times, and we've we got to get him on the show. I know, he, I know he's probably quite busy, but like Andrew Yang, right, at the time of the 2020, no, the 2016 election, he actually followed election. me on Twitter, crazily enough. Right, Grace, you've got to give him a shout and ask him to come on our show because, you know, I'm fascinated to talk to him because in 2016, when Donald Trump won the election, there was a slightly crazy guy called Andrew Yang trying to win a, the Democratic nomination. At the time, everyone thought he was mad. Now he looks completely sane. Completely I don't think he was mad. What is it? No, the general <laughs> view was he was a, he was a, 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 a random presence yeah. in this world you know and now he looks like he's in like the mainstream entering the mainstream of some of his thinking it's yeah which is it. but that's how it always works in the same way that the idea of an egalitarian society where both men and women can assemble politically and vote uh, autonomously sounded crazy as uh, recently as 19 until 1969 so yeah and that's also you know what like people who are in you know the public eye what our jobs are as um you know, people who want to build a better and fairer society to take ideas that maybe seem marginal and just to thrust them into the mainstream. And this happened in the UK really over the last kind of, you know, five, seven years with just the word socialism. Like prior to, you know, 2015, 
um, if you said you went out and said, I'm a socialist, you would have been laughed off the TV and now laughed off, you know, laughed out of the room. And now because there's been, you know, this huge movement composed of ordinary people organizing, you know, political parties, trade unionists to say, actually, we're done with neoliberalism. We're done with um, this kind of really toxic way of organizing the economy. We want to build something new and just reclaiming that word and saying, look, things could be so different. These are all the things that we could possibly be doing. Um, it's completely changed. Dane, uh, I'm going to throw it over to you to get, because I reckon your question is going to segue beautifully into this yeah. economic uh, dialogue. So over to you, buddy, for, the, for to, to, to see us through to the end. So, Brace, in, in the duration of this conversation, you have mentioned that you have a research a Marxist uh, ideology as well as being a socialist. Now, the, I'm sure you've noticed, like I said, uh, in the same way that like no one really said the word cellulite until 2001. Uh, <laughs> Never really mentioned it. And uh, it's about 2016. I would look at uh, most, um, the entirety of the expanse of the landscape of uh, media. And it seems that it's been engineered that those two references, being a socialist and a Marxist, are now used as dirty words, uh, almost synonymous with like being like a, a national traitor. That's, yeah. how, that's how it's been manipulated and into being a dirty word. And uh, it's surprising that we're at this place it's gone so far that the head of the Labour Party, remember the key word being fucking Labour, <laughs> refuses to stand alongside trade uh, unions and mm. uh, is opposed to collective bargaining. Yeah. But they're called fucking Labour. Yeah. It's the Labour force. It's crazy. And you won't stand with the Labour force. And so my question really is, how has this become, how has socialism and Marxism, especially in a world where people are openly um, exp espousing like fascist rhetoric and openly you know, in a country that fought Nazis mm. using anti-Semitic and uh, racial rhetoric. Yeah. How, how have, uh, or what have you seen, what machinations have you seen that have made socialism and Marxism like dirty words or synonymous with like being traitors? And what can be done in order to reach the more moderate, well, the majority of British society who are considered to be quite moderate or centrist, even though they're really drifting towards the right, what can be done in order to endear these people and make them aware that the dry, socialist drive is actually a good thing, especially in the case where like collective bargaining means you don't get fucked over at work? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there has been a lot of progress, as I was saying already, on just this idea of um, using the word socialism because, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it just it would never would have happened. Like I would never have been invited to go on the TV shows that I go on because they would have just been like, you know, your views are far too extreme. So that has been some progress. Like, in the name of in the name of Rupert Murdoch, go fuck yourself, lady. <laughs> <laughs> and now I go on Rupert Murdoch's bloody show, Talk TV. So God knows how that's happened. But anyway, uh, I think it's just, you know, shows that society has shifted. And I think this is or, the or main Jerry, point. Or Jerry Hall left me and he was like, Jerry, come back. <laughs> well, we're on the show. Look, look, you can see. No, <laughs> not what happened. But. No, but, um, yeah, I mean, like what you were saying about, you know, the British public is relatively centrist. Like, yes, on some issues, I think most people like to think of themselves as the middle of the spectrum and reasonable and not extreme in any, in any sense. But if you look at what their views are, like the vast majority of people want to see the railways renationalized. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people want to see higher taxes on the rich, more redistribution, you know, things that are distinctly to the left 
yeah. of our political spectrum. Well, if most people aren't really represented. Just the merit of them wanting to be able to vote for these things also makes them kind of socialist themselves as well because of like just what yeah. is a democratic system. There is. Um, I think it was maybe Ralph Miliband who talked about this. He said there's a kind of common sense socialism that pervades within British society, which is just like workers should be able to organise to fight for higher wages. There's stuff that should be nationalised. Um, we should have, you know, a certain amount of like real democracy in the way we make decisions. The rich should be taxed and it should be redistributed. Like when you say all of that stuff, you're like, yeah, that makes complete sense. You know, let's do a little bit more of that. And now actually to add to that, you know, we need to do something about climate breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, what the issue is, is that whenever someone comes out and, and stands up for those ideas, they will be attacked and vilified as a person for, and basically said, you know, this person is evil. Yes. Right. So they, the, the right at the, at the moment, they tried this in 2017. They tried to attack the ideas that were being proposed by socialists within the Labour Party and say, people don't want to renationalize the railways. What are you talking about? Free broadband? What would that do for anybody? By the way, follow yeah. me on Twitter for more. <laughs> it didn't work because people did want the railways to be renationalized. So instead, they changed tack and started just completely and utterly destroying an eviscerated person. They, you know, um, all sorts of people within the Labour Party. Uh, turned on Corbyn and attacked him and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, there was stuff like on Newsnight, Jeremy Corbyn being depicted with like a Russian hat behind, like uh, in front of, sorry, um, oh, a yeah, Russian it was, backdrop. It was, stuff uh, was just, you know, and, and on the same show, Rishi Sunak is depicted as Superman. Yeah. Just like crazy, no, well, and, crazy and, stuff being expected like the, a dictatorship. And that he it was aligned with the IRA, as if he was like right there yeah. doing, doing the nail bombing. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, there, like, there are a lot of problems with Jeremy Corbyn, don't get me wrong, but the way that he was kind of like completely destroyed for basically saying we should have moderate social democracy, a bit of renationalization, slightly higher taxes, um, you know, uh, not, he wasn't even that progressive on immigration. Like, what ended up on immigration in the All Brexit, um, for that 2017 and manifestos was just like, let's not shove loads of people into like prison camps when they arrive here so that they can be harassed and abused by G4S star. That was just like the base level. It wasn't like open the borders. So, you know, some of this stuff was pretty chill. Uh, It wasn't like extreme. And yet it was him as a person who was attacked. And you will find that as a a, a left winger going into any media situation, you'll be attacked as a person because they know that they can't attack your idea. This is a good point. As far as the, uh, the populace, of maybe the West um, and the old people that I guess thrive under these bipartisan political systems. How it seems like a lot of the time they're acting in their own self against their own self interest. So obviously the railways have actually been a unique one where this, I think despite a lot of suggestion from media, people have shown a lot of solidarity with rail workers. But what's stopping that from being extended to like the healthcare industry or like where people don't? It's so for example, I guess like defund the police, for example. People are opposed to that idea when really, and I think that's down to the fact that it's, so it's like we're going to give the police less money and people are opposed to that idea. But I'm just like, people already give the police less money. They've had cuts. Mm. And I guess, and what the, and really that initiative is about divesting money from just law enforcement and actually reinvesting in social projects and, yeah. you know, uh, in order to maybe of more prevention is better than cure, I guess. Yeah, you know, things like community policing yeah. and like making sure that you're sure, sure starts or youth clubs and social this, yeah. services. Yeah, exactly. I, um, you know, have, uh, heard from, um, people in the police that like 
at this point, like 60, 70% of the work that they're doing when they're being called out is basically work that social workers should be doing. Yeah. They're called out because someone's had a mental breakdown, because someone's run away from home, because someone's harming themselves, threatening to kill themselves, threatening to kill someone around them. And it's just like, you know, that money that we're spending on protecting ourselves in inverted commas, not really protecting ourselves yeah. against um, people who, ha- you know, have all of these problems. That money could just be invested in preventing them from having those problems in the first place. And then we wouldn't have to give all this extra money to police to like harass people on the street. But then the question is, Grace, is are is this uh, prevalence of mental health problems or people expressing the desire to self-harm or you know anything on the spectrum of uh, neurosis to psychosis? Is this a byproduct of the times we're living in? As we're seeing the yeah, decline so. of the efficacy of capitalism, and I uh, think it's all to do with with loneliness. Yeah, because because individualism and being neo neoliberal is like it sounds good for capitalist pursuit, but really as social species, like there's no point in you working for yourself if at the end of the day your only reward is like sit at home and count my money. There's really no point. Yeah, like I think this is the the legacy of individualism. I think individualism is making us sick as a society. The idea that you have to get up every day and just spend all of your time competing against everyone. You can only rely on yourself. You can't rely on, you know, friends, co-workers, uh, the public sector to support you if anything goes wrong. No wonder everything's so, everyone's so desperately anxious all the time. It's like everything's on you. You have to always be on. You have to protect yourself. You have to protect yourself against everyone around you. At the end of that, you, you know, might not even get a is... fucking pension. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that used to so be part of confidence, like... What, working in a capitalist system was almost like taking a really shitty record deal that lasted for about 50 years. And then, <laughs> in that you only got like a fraction of the money you generated for yeah. the label owner, so to speak. Yeah. At least at the end of it, you may have like a house you could retire into and maybe received a fixed or like state pension. But now that's been taken off the table in terms of the covenant that you as a proletariat have with the employer. And so yeah, yeah, this must be having an effect on people. But the question is, is most people, it's a common sense socialist rhetoric. Most people understand that it should be basic that if you're working together, you have a coupling or you have a family, having access to a home and having access to education yeah. in a democratic post-war society, that should be a given. But now we're regressing to the point whereby you have a large part of the, well, I mean, we call them the working class, but they're not even fucking working. Who themselves now have solidarity with the idea. It's like we're at the point now where it's like people are angry about the idea that immigrants can have access to our healthcare system instead of being happy that you should need to get sick and need it in the first place. Yeah, I think like a big part of how we make these ideas accessible has less to do with the way that the ideas are framed and more to do with um, demonstrating that they're possible and getting people organized to fight for them. Because I think, you know, when you go out and speak to people about the ideas on the left, they're generally very popular. But the thing people always say is, oh, it's impossible. It could never happen because you can't afford it or whatever, whatever, whatever. There's always some sort of reason behind it. Like the thing that really cuts through that despair um, is is organizing and is getting together with other people who have the same sorts of ideas as you and fighting to make things different. That's why people are really supportive at the moment of the railway workers, because they see people coming together um, to really like make change happen rather than just kind of complaining to the sidelines or saying we could do this or we could do that. And when that happens, historically, if you look you know, throughout history, when workers come together and organize and say, we want this or we won't stand for that, people line up behind them 
And it's not a coincidence that a big part of the neoliberal revolution was about destroying trade unions, destroying any form of collective action, criminalizing protest, forcing us to just take everything that was happening to us as individuals, as you know, individual households, rather than allowing us to organize collectively to demand something different. So for me, you know, it's not just about the way we frame the ideas and communicate the ideas. It's actually about encouraging people to get out there, join a trade union, you know, join an environmentalist organization, join a political party, just get out and do any form of political action or collective action because it breaks through your sense of isolation and individualism. It's good for your mental health. It's good for, you know, your sense of like, um, you know, power in the world. And it's actually the only way that anything ever really changes. And it's, it reminds me, and I've said this quote before, uh, from David Graeber. My uh, friend David, I love, oh, yeah, I knew <laughs> David really well. Yeah. That, that's the nice, most heartfelt name drop I've ever heard. My friend. <laughs> yeah, my friend David. <laughs> no, just, yeah, we, yeah. Were, we were really close and um, the ultimate- he's a real inspiration for me. Well, it's that, it's that, it's a famous quote. The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that, that we is made make, and could we be make made. and we could just as easily make differently. Yeah. And I think maybe that is something that the listeners can take away from today. Even if there's totally. been things that's made you feel sad or a bit miserable or a bit, you know, uh, feel that stuff is hopeless. It's definitely not. It might not be solved in our time our little lifetime but it might well be sold don't even worry um, about that guys because sometimes you've got to plant trees even though you're not going to enjoy their shade just remember no one from work is coming to your fucking funeral so fuck that shit <laughs> call in sick give a fake cop take some time out to hang out with some friends because there are yes. no statues of no fucking salesman on any sales floor in any company in the fucking world you've never gone into an office and seen a statue or a plaque for the head of marketing they don't give a fuck so no, neither should you. Your work should not be your life. And in a couple of years, like the economy might be our God, but now AI doesn't give a fuck about the economy. Okay. So there's a new species and they don't give a shit about a God. So we need to learn. It's the next stage, everybody. We're on a trip. Enjoy yourselves. But thanks for coming on the show, Grace. You've been a really good guy. <laughs> Definitely giving us what we like on this show. It's been very Oh, good. Uh, I'm glad. Crazy. I hope it wasn't too nerdy. No, not at it all. was dead. No way. No way. We'll, we'll uh, find out from the list of reviews. I'm sure it'll be great. Sometimes nerdy is good. And, you know, at this particular point in time, uh, ignorance is no longer bliss. So we great. very much appreciate you coming on the show, Grace. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to chat to you guys. Well, I feel like as nerdy as you are, there are some of our listeners who might be equally nerdy who'd like to know more about your I nerdy hope so. rhetoric. Where can they find out about your great works, past, present and future? So you can find all my books and events and whatever on my website graceblakely.co.uk and Blakely has two E's in it and you can follow me on Twitter at Grace Blakely Instagram TikTok whatever I got TikTok recently because I was told that's where all the kids are um, so yeah that sounded say- really wrong but I, that's why I said you can, you, can, you, you can say that we can't say that so I can spread socialism to Gen Z yeah. Grace Blakely I'm a Marxist and I'm trying to find your kids yeah, that's how they'll chop it Grace that's how they'll do it I was actually one of nobody will ever hear this episode eh? that's a shame isn't it? <laughs> my book was like how to talk to your kids about Marxism that's what they said it was. So clearly, this is my niche. Talking to Gen Z about Marxism. And you need to be able to We need, we to need you out there, Grace. We fucking need you, mate. Someone so listen, do keep doing your thing. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys.
You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste and myself, Howard Cullen. Our guest was Grace Blakely. You can follow Grace on Instagram at grace.blakely. For more from Dane and myself, make sure you follow us on Instagram at danesnaptiste and at the Howard Cohen. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for Dane, make sure you send us a DM on Instagram at dbqepodcast and we could feature you in our next episode. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Insanity Group. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.